Thanks for coming. Um, tonight we have two sponsors. First of all, I want to invite everyone Rosh Chodesh. Uh, first of all, tomorrow night there's a nice gathering here. Le'ili Nishmas Yossi Kreiman, a gathering for women. I think it's called for eight or I think eight o'clock tomorrow night. It'll be um, music and song and inspiration for ladies only. That's tomorrow night over here at Mayon. Um, a tonight's and then Thursday morning in honor of Rosh Chodesh, we're going to have our monthly breakfast, uh, Sudas Rosh Chodesh. Uh, before that, we have a very beautiful davening um, with uh, a musical halal. Whoever hasn't been here, it's something really uplifting and very therapeutic for the soul, if I can say. Uh, tonight's class. Uh, was dedicated the 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 CD this week. Um, we have two dedications on the CD. One was by Mrs. Shoshana Mansuri, uh, by Rabbi and Mrs. Shoshana Mansuri. This is in honor of her mother's yard site, uh, Prasada Bada Bashimin Eliyahu. Um, her yard site is on the second day of Kislev. Um, may her neshama have a very, very great aliyah. She was talking to me about her mother the other day, saying how she grew up in Morocco. She was one of the first students of the Beis Rifka school, which is probably the first Beis Rifka that opened up. It was in Morocco. And then she went on to be a, a teacher in the school, and hundreds of the students ended up being uh, teachers and inspiration to many others. So she has a very, very big schus. May this be a big merit for her neshama to go higher and higher and higher and higher and to channel lots of blessings down to you, the Mansuri family, and all that you need and all that you can wish for and only, only bracha and only mazel and only good things. Another very special dedication was by the Kreiman family, Rabbi uh, and Mrs. Nachman and the Vairi Kreiman. And this is in honor of their son's Yossi's yard site that is on the 28th of Cheshvan which is today Yosef Olav Ashalem Ben Nachman Ber Yichya Yossi was an extraordinary 
Bacher, um, and passed away, uh, sadly, tragically. Um, may this be an elevation for his neshama um, to soar higher and higher and higher and to channel powerful, powerful blessings to his family, only, only mazel and only good things and only bracha. Um, may they, um, they shouldn't know of any more sorrow and any more hardship and only celebrate simchas and very, very soon, mamish, 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 soon, 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 may they be reunited uh, with him down here as all neshamas come back down here to begin life all anew with the coming of Mashiach. May that happen now. Um, tonight, this week, is Parsha's Toldos, and we have a very beautiful Parsha. Um, the Parsha told, Parsha's Toldos is, fo- focuses on Yitzchak, Isaac, the second one of our fathers, and the birth of Yaakov. And the, the Parsha is called Toldos, which means the offspring. These are the chronicles of Yitzchak. Um, I'd like to dedicate the class talking about Yitzchak and the specialty of Yitzchak, and particularly... Um, to look for a merit. The Jewish people need merit. We're, we're in the midst of a difficult, harsh crisis, um, which I hope and we're wishing and we're hoping will conclude with the coming of Mashiach. But we don't need any more pain for the coming of Mashiach. We say, Hashem, we can greet Mashiach without any drama. Just send us Mashiach happily and, hap, happily and joyfully. But right now we need merit. We need a lot of schus. And the more we can talk in giving classes of Torah in which we highlight the merit of Am Yisrael, the merit of the Jewish people, it's a good thing because our words are very powerful. So instead of telling people how uh, incomplete their service is and how maybe chas v'shalem there is a lacking or this or that, even if people have good intentions, that's not exactly what we should be doing now. What we should be doing now is speaking about the beauty of Am Yisrael, the beauty of the Jewish people, and the great merit that we have all the time, that stands for us all the time, um, this, the merit of the Jewish people, and particularly the merit of the Jewish people pertaining to the, the tension that we have now. And the tension that we have now is in regards to the Temple Mount, and the Harabais. And uh, that's the source of all the tension that's going on now in regards to Israel, in regards to the Jewish people. So we need a merit in regards to the Har Hamoria and the, the Harabayas and, and pertaining to Yitzchak. So we don't have to look far. It's a story that is mentioned, that has, the Torah has discussed primarily two weeks ago in Parshas Vayera, but it resurfaces again this week in the Parsha. And therefore we're going to talk about it in this, in this parsha. And that is the story of the binding of Yitzchak, even though it's a story of two weeks ago. The Torah makes mention of it, not clearly, but Rashi talks about it in this week's Torah portion. See, the Torah tells us in Parsha's Toldos about the extreme holiness of Yitzchak. From all of our forefathers, they were all extraordinary great men. But when we're talking about Kedusha, holiness... Yitzchak ex- exceeds, accelerates beyond all the other of us in terms of his holiness of Yitzchak. Um, there was a famine in the land, just like there was a famine in the days of Avram. And Yitzchak thought that he wanted to um, copy his father. Just like his father, Avram, during the time of the famine, 
went down to live in the in the land, went to Egypt. So Yitzchak wanted to follow his father and say, maybe God wants me to go out of the land of Israel and to go settle in the land of Egypt. Maybe he has to accomplish things over there, just like his father Avram had to accomplish, pave the way for the Jewish people during the time when the Jews were in exile in Mitzrayim, or all the other spiritual accomplishments that Avram did when he was in Egypt. Um, but Hashem tells Yitzchak, no, 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 no. You cannot go down to Mitzrayim. Hashem says to him, Hashem, Hashem tells him, don't go down to Egypt. This is in chapter 26, Perek Chavav, Pasuk Beis. So Hashem appears to Yitzchak and He says, don't go down, down to Egypt. You should dwell in the land that I will tell you. Do not go down. Meaning which land? Stay in the land of Israel. Um, actually at this point Yitzchak wasn't anymore in Eretz Yisrael proper. Yitzchak was at the borders of the land of Israel or you might say close to the suburbs, Yitzhak was in the land of the city of Gurar, where Avimelech is. Gur ba'aretz hazois. Live in this land. Ve'eye imchach, I will be with you. Vavadechach, I will bless you. Because to you and to your children, I will give these lands. And Yitzhak was actually, I think, Yitzhak was in Gaza at that time. That's where the Philistines lived, where Pelishtim was. And that's where Yitzhak was. And Hashem tells him, stay in this land. You can't go out completely out of the land of Israel. Because, and why, what's the reason? Even though Yitzchak's father, Avram Avinu, did go out of the land of Eretz Yisrael, so why was Yitzchak told not to go out of the land? So Rashi says this, the Medrash says it, and Rashi says it, Rashi says it, and holds his own words, slightly different than the Medrash, and that is that God says to Yitzchak, your father was able to go out of the land because he didn't possess the same level of holiness. You are a korban. The words of Rashi is, you are a sacrifice. You are a sacrifice that did not have any blemish. A karban, a ola, ola is a burnt offering. You are a burnt offering. And, and the, 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 it's not fitting for you to go out outside of the land. In the words of the Medrash, it's a little stronger. The Medrash says, just like an ola, just like a burnt offering, becomes puzzle, becomes invalid when it goes out of the Azara, when it goes out of its designated place, um, which is the courtyard of the Holy Temple. Once someone um, offered an Ola, so the meat of a carbon Ola is supposed to be burnt on the altar. If the Kohen takes the meat, and for a moment he has a, you know, someone is calling him, gets a phone call or something, and he holds the meat, the plate or the platter or the meat, and he walks outside of the courtyard, then they can take the meat and they have to, they have to get rid of it. They can't put it on the altar. Why? Because it becomes, so to speak, defiled. It becomes, um, it becomes unfit for being offered up on the altar once it's taken out of its designated enclosed area. So too, God says to Avram, you are a korban, you are a holy korban, and therefore I do not let you go out of the land of Israel. To Eretz Yisrael then, the land of Israel, is considered, the land of Israel then, is considered to be on the equivalent, at least in regards to Yitzchak, as the Azara, as the courtyard. And Yitzchak is not allowed to go out of the courtyard, because if he will go out of the courtyard, he is like taking the animal or the meat of a sacrifice 
and taking it outside of its designated area, and it will become puzzle. Yitzchak, you will become puzzle. You become invalid, invalid if you go out. This is what the Medrash says, and Rashi same ideas said in Rashi, which is kind of kind of difficult to understand, because um, the whole law that you're not allowed to take out a korban outside of its designated area is only after the animal was sacrificed. That means after they slaughter the animal, and what you're supposed to do with the meat is you're supposed to burn it on the altar. Then the law is if you take any piece of that meat and you take it outside of the base of Migdash, it becomes unfit for the altar for the Mizbeach. It's no more a kosher karban, at least in regards to sacrificing it. It's not kosher and you can't burn it anymore. But what happens before you, sac- before you put it on the altar? When someone consecrates an animal, someone says this animal should, go f- should be for the base of Migdash, they can do that anywhere in the land of Israel. More than that, a person can consecrate an animal there in San Francisco or anywhere in the world. And they say there should be a karma. It doesn't become disqualified because it's not in the base of Migdash. Now you have a mitzvah to take this karban to Eretz Yisrael, to take it to Yerushalayim, to Jerusalem. And you have a mitzvah to bring it to the Harabayas, to the Temple Mount, and then into the courtyard, and then you offer it. Only after it was slaughtered, was shechted, then the meat of the karban becomes possible. B'yotzeh, b'yotzeh means by exiting the, the boundaries of the base of Migdash. But Yitzchak wasn't sacrificed. He was designated as a karban, but he was never sacrificed as a karban. So why would the laws of Yitzah going out of Chutzli Aretz, why would that apply for Yitzchak? In any way that we should say that the Medrash says, you become puzzle, you become disqualified if you go out of Eretz, if you go out of the land of Israel. So what's, how would that work? The answer to this is, and the answer to this, to this problem is related the answer to this is related. Let's go back to the story of the Akedas Yitzchak and take a look a little bit and see that maybe we skipped the story and we didn't really read it really that well. Because there are some amazing things in that, in, in the story of the binding of Yitzchak. It says that when after Avram is ready, he has Yitzchak already tied down on, on the altar and he's already reaching for the knife to shecht Yitzchak, to do the, to do the, uh, the, the mitzvah that God had commanded him. An uh, angel of God calls out and tells him stop. And tells him not to do so. In other words, the Malach says to him, I, I see already that, um, here we're holding over here, do not stretch out your hand to the youngster. Do not do anything to him. Because now I know that you're a God-fearing man. You're not holding back even your one and only child from me. Then it says, Avram lifts his eyes. And he sees, he sees there's another aisle, there's another ram that is caught in the brush, caught in the bushes. And Avram goes and he takes, and he takes that second ram, and he offers it up as a sacrifice, as an ola, as a burnt offering, in the place of his son. So Avram is now taking an animal, a korban, and he's offering an, a ram, and this ram that is being offered is in the place of Yitzchak. It's as if, as if this is like in the place of Yitzchak, as if Yitzchak, Sarashi says, what does it mean that he offered it tachas benoi? In simply it means instead of his son. 
Rashi says, what does it mean instead of his son? So Rashi says that on every, on every act that Avram did when he was offering up the ram in the place of Yitzchak, Rashi says, he said, Yehi Ratzon, let it be the will, Hashem. Shetahezu, let this be considered. Kilu as if this was being done to my son. Kilu bini shachut, as if my son was shechted. Kilu damai zarak, as if his blood was sprinkled. Now, the blood of the ram should be considered to you as if Isaac's blood was being sprinkled on the altar. And then kiiluhu niktar, as if Isaac was being burnt. Benasadeshen, and he became ashes. So Avram has a special prayer. He's davening to Hashem, let this be considered as if this was all done for Yitzchak. And the question really that is asked, which is to be not problematic over here, is that, um, and obviously we understand, that, when, that, when, I, that when, when Avram prayed that prayer, Hashem accepted the prayer. So it's not like Yitzchak, Isaac was intended to be a karba. There was a desire to be shechted. And Avram was ready to sacrifice him. Avram actually sacrificed him. Because when he took the ram and he offered the ram, he prayed that this should be considered as if it was done to Yitzchak. If God accepted that prayer, that means it was done to Yitzchak. And Yitzchak became ashes. And Yitzchak was burnt. And the whole procedure was done to Yitzchak. Now, the question really is, why does Avram really even want to do that? If God tells Avram, you totally didn't get me. I never told you to shechtim. That was never my plan. I just told you to bring Yitzchak up. Because when God tells Avram, when Hashem tells Avram Avinu to take Yitzchak for the Akedah, he says, bring him up as a sacrifice. He never said shechtim. Avram, in his own mind, thought, if he's bringing him as an carbon, he didn't realize that difference. Bringing up means just to put him on the altar. So since it wasn't God's intentions, it was just to, just to bring him up, and Hashem says, you did that already, bring him up, take him down. If that's the case, so why is Avram praying, let it be considered as if Yitzchak were shechted? Not only is, if that, not only is that not what God had asked him to do, but actually that's, goes against what God had asked him to do. Because Hashem specifically did not want him to shecht him. For two reasons. Number one, God doesn't ask us for human sacrifices. That's number one. Number two, particularly not Yitzchak. Because the slaughtering of Yitzchak would mean the slaughtering of the Jewish people. God promised Avram, Hashem promised Avram that from him, from Yitzchak, you will see the great nation. If Avram would kill Yitzchak, and Yitzchak didn't even have any offspring then, then it would be over. So Yitzchak was not meant to die. And here Avram Avinu is pleading and begging and considering, let this be considered your will as if he was done. So Avram is having a prayer for something that Hashem doesn't want, and it's actually contrary to God's wish. So the Armafarshim that say, the Sephornu, who wants to explain, that the reason why Avram prayed and offered him instead, because even though Hashem, in Hashem's mind, when he told him to take Yitzchak to the Akedah, Hashem did not intend that Yitzchak should be shechted, but being that Avram mistakenly didn't know that, so in his mind, he had planned to offer Yitzchak as a sacrifice, so he felt that if he doesn't finish what he planned on doing, there was something lacking, is a lacking of truth in his. He is making a commitment, at least in his heart, like when a person decides to do a mitzvah, for instance. 
And then, in, even if you, it says that if a person accepts upon in his mind to do a mitzvah, and then in the end he has difficulties and it can't be done, so you have a problem because it's almost like it's, it's considered like a vow. You did a Kabbalah. If you said it with your mouth, for sure it's a problem. Then you have to go and get it, get the vow annulled. If you didn't say it, even if you just had them, when we say by Hataras Nadarim before Rosh Hashanah, when we when we when we absolve vows, we say that even if I just accepted Gamarti Belibi, if I intended in my heart to do a mitzvah and that I want to annul that. So being that Amram intended to actually sacrifice him, so until the deed wasn't done, it was like a promise was made and it wasn't kept. So therefore Avram says, you don't let me shecht him, but at least let me, let it be considered, since I'm taking the ram in the place of Yitzchak, let it be considered like Yitzchak is in the place. So to Avram kind of, he's speaking truth. And what he planned on doing, he gave everything that he intended to. That would be an explanation, but in Pshat, in Rashi, in the simple meaning, it does, doesn't fit. Because if your mitzvah that you're thinking to do is really not a mitzvah, but a sin... Because had he shechted Yitzhak, that would be murder. That God didn't ask him to do so. He would be murdering his child when God didn't tell him to do so. So even though he thought this is God's will, but once he finds out that it was never God's will, he says, okay, it's a mistake. So then in my mind, I wanted to do what I thought is a mitzvah, which is not a mitzvah. So there's no merit in keeping that mitzvah going that was never a mitzvah because God never wanted you to do so. So therefore that makes it, that, that's a, that, that, that doesn't really work that well. So there must be another reason why Avram Avinu was so determined, so determined that it should be considered as if not only that he passed his test and he was willing to sacrifice, but that there was actually a, an offering and that Yitzchak is ashes. Yitzchak is ashes. What was the reason for that? So here we notice something else that's by the Akedah. Again, two weeks ago in the parasha by the Akedah, we notice something else. We, we hear that the angel speaks to Avram two times. When he's ready to, 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 to slash, so to speak, Yitzchak's throat, at that moment the Malach comes and stops him. Tells him, oh, stop, don't do that. Then, it says that Avram raises his eyes. All the Malach says to him, don't do anything, because now I know you're a God-fearing man. That's it. Then it says Avram raises his eyes and he sees another ram. He takes the ram and he offers it in the place of his son. Then, Vayikra Malach Hashem Sheinis Min Hashemayim. The Malach calls out to Avram, to Abraham a second time from heaven. And this time he showers him with blessings. Vayoyim Ebinish Bati. I'm swearing by the name of God, in the Um Hashem. Kiyana Sherasisa Sadavar Azeh. Since you've done this thing, you did not hold back your one and only child from me. I will bless you. I will increase your children like the stars of the heaven and like the sand by the sea, by the seashore. And your children, descendants, will inherit, they will dominate over their enemies. That's the promise that God gives him. Now the question is, why does God have to communicate with Avraham two times? And the Pasuk emphasized, Shainus, it was first a conversation, God just says, I'm very impressed. That's it, doesn't give him any blessings. After that, when Avram shechts the ram instead of Yitzchak, then the Malach comes in and gives him these big blessings. What, is, what was lacking? Why didn't the Malach tell him? I mean, the greatness of the Akedah was that he was willing to shech Yitzchak, not that he shechted a ram. So it should have been in the first time, the Malach tells him. And the answer to all of this is, that if we take a look at the blessings, 
that, the, that, that Avram is blessed, we, it's a little puzzling because there's really nothing new in those blessings. All those blessings that Avram gave, got after this unbelievable achievement that he passed the most difficult test, God doesn't give him anything new in his promises. What does he promise him? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to increase your children like the stars of the heaven and like the sand. And that your children will, will defeat their enemies. All of this God already had told it to him all the way back in Lech Lecha. Shem told him you're going to have children. I'm going to bless you. If you go to the land of Eretz Yisrael, a few times, by the bris ben Absarim, by the bris mila, it continues, the same blessings. Children, they'll, right? And that they'll, they'll be like, like the stars of the heaven. All of that is mentioned earlier. What was said to him now, like that wasn't said before? And the answer is, it's not what was said, but it was in the manner in which it was said. What was said the second over here by the Akedah was that over here Hashem took an oath. Be nishbati. Hashem swears by, his, by himself. He swears and he, and, he, and he takes an oath. He makes a promise with a shvua, very, very serious. That what? That th- these blessings are going to... And what does that mean? We understand that when God makes an oath, what it really means is that there is nothing, doesn't make it, nothing can get in the way. No matter what the condition of the Jewish people is going to be. Even if we are unworthy of the unworthy of the unworthy, God forbid, even if we don't deserve anything. Once there was an oath, there was a shvua from coming from God, it, is, it has to happen, no matter what. And that's what Avram gained. That's what he gained now by the arcade of what he had. He had nice promises. He had, he had a basura, he had the prophecies before. God gives him blessings. This time he adds the intensity, the sureness of it being an oath, which means that, no, that there's, it's unbreakable. This is what's going to happen. Now we understand why Avram so desperately wanted a korban. Why? Because we, we take a look earlier in the Torah, just on the most simplest of level, we look when else in Chumash, before this story, do we have that Hashem makes an oath to a human being. So if we remember, when Noah came out of the, when Noah came out of the, um, from the flood, after he came out of the, out of the Teva, out of the ark, it says over there too that God made an oath, a shavua, and He said that He will never destroy again. There won't be any more such a devastation, such a global devastation like by the Mabel will never happen again. And God makes an oath. What triggered God's oath at that time? That Hashem made a shavua, a promise that He won't bring. The oath came about because Noah offered sacrifices. Actually on the Haromaria. Noah offered the korban, the sacrifices, he, and then, as it, it says, Hashem smelled as reach Hashem smelled the pleasant aroma of the, of, the, of, the, of the sacrifices, and Hashem makes an oath. So therefore, now to elicit the oath as well, it wasn't enough that Avram had all the good intentions of Shechting Yitzchak, there isn't a reach hanichoach, there isn't a pleasant aroma. In order to call for the oath, this powerful commitment on God's part, it needed an actual korban. So that's why Amram is determined to, to shech. That's why the malach waits until the second time. And when comes the oath? After he brings the korban. But Avram doesn't just, it, this is not just a korban. Avram offered other korban, I said other times. Okay, this is the only time he's offering a korban on this very special place, on the Temple Mount 
on the place that's designated for Kabbalists. Earlier, Avram built Mizbeachs in other places. By the way, in the other Mizbeachs that Avram built, it doesn't say that he offered carbons. It just said he built a Mizbeach. So this might have been the first time that he ever offers a carbon. He sacrifices, makes a sacrifice on the, on the altar. Fine. But it wasn't just that he offered a sacrifice. Avram wanted to connect the sacrifice to the Akedah. That it has to be connected to the big test that he had just gone through, to the merit of what he had just did. He was just willing to give his everything to God, his one and only son. That's the reason why it was, like we find, let's go back, let's go see with Noah. Noah offers a carbon, but it wasn't just a carbon. It was a carbon in connection to the Mabel. Because Noah wanted that Hashem should make a treaty with the world and an oath that he will not destroy the world again. And you see that Noah, and that came about through two things. Noah connected his Mizbeach and his Karbanos and his sacrifices to the, to, the, to the flood. Why? Number one, he offered the sacrifices immediately when he came out of the ark. It wasn't like he waited a couple of years. It was done immediately. He built the Mizbeach and he offered the Karbanos. Number one. Number two, the animals that he used for the sacrifices were animals that survived the flood. Didn't wait till the animals will regenerate. And then, you know, in a couple, when he had the, the, the second generation, the third generation of animals, he took from those very animals that he took on the Mizbeach, they were in the Mabul, and there they were the ones that he offered, so that he will elicit God's, God's, God's uh, uh, favor in connection to the Mabul. And that's what he got. He got an oath that I will not bring the Mabul. So when it came to the Akedas Yitzchak, Avram wanted not just to evoke the carbon, the power of the pleasant aroma. For whatever reason, and we once spoke about it, why carbonos is so powerful and so potent, and why it's so important for us to have a third base on Migdosh any, very, very soon so that we can bring carbonos. But, but, but it wasn't stama carbon. He wanted a carbon, a sacrifice, connected to the, to the Akedah. That's why when he offers the ram, he says, let, in every, let it be as if Yitzchak was being offered. Let it be as... So that he's connecting it to the Akedah. And actually, when Avram was doing that, let's understand something. See, simply when, you, when we read and we say that he took a ram and he offered him tachas beno. So tachas beno simply means it was in substitution to his son. In other words, instead of doing it to his son, he's now doing it to a ram. So what, what, what would that mean? It means that the holiness of the karban goes off of Yitzchak, departs from Yitzchak, from Isaac, and it goes on to the ram. That means this is a replacement. But that's not true. Avram is praying to God that it shouldn't be a replacement. He's not replacing him. He's offering the ram on behalf of Yitzchak as the proxy of Yitzchak. When it's, when it's being done to the ram, it is being done to Yitzchak. So every single act, and there were two things involved over here. First of all, there is this prayer that the sprinkling of the blood, this is Yitzchak's blood. The, the burning of the animal, this is the burning of Yitzchak. The becoming of ashes, this is the burning Yitzchak's body to ashes. And there was another thing over here. Ya- Avram Avinu, while he was doing that, when Avram Avinu was doing it to the ram, he brought himself and his consciousness, and as his awareness, he was actually seeing... This happening to his son Yitzchak. That's what made, here's let's understand something. Because you can really ask a question. I mean, as, as good as burnt 
for what, no matter how we'll try to understand this, as good as the smell of, of the carbon is, and obviously we understand that's not physical, the smell of a carbon, as wonderful as the carbon smells to God, we can understand that the virtue of offering your one and only child, the most precious, most beloved thing, this is your everything you have to God, should be at least as significant as that. So why do we still need to wait, as we said before, until, the, until Avram actually brings the aisle? And when he, after he brings the aisle, then God says, oh, you've done that, now it's considered, right? He gives him all, he brings the oath. And the answer to that is because when Avram brought the aisle, and he shechted the aisle, he was doing it to Yitzchak. He was actually experiencing the full slaughtering, offering of Yitzchak. And what was the point? The point over here was that God should penetrate to Avram Avinu into every, every, every subcell of his, of his being. Into every, every particle of Avram. There shouldn't be a place in Avram's soul that is not permeated and pervaded with the reality of God, that he gives himself completely over to Hashem. When a person is ready to give his life, Al-Kiddush Hashem, and we know that when we say Shema Yisrael every day, we're supposed to have in mind, especially once a year on Yom Kippur, when we say Shema Yisrael by the Ne'il and the end of Yom Kippur, we're supposed to have in mind that we, are, we too are willing to give our lives up. Al-Kiddush Hashem, like all the millions of Jews who, who, who went with martyrdom and gave their lives up Al-Kiddush Hashem. But it says an interesting thing, that when a person is willing to give his life and says he's willing and really means it, it's still not the same like doing it. Because it takes an extra oomph when it comes at the chas v'shal, no one should ever be tested. But when it comes to the actual, actual crossing that, 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 that threat, like Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, all my life, I was hoping that I would have the zuchus to be able to give my life al Kiddush Hashem. So, so that should be enough. He already wanted to do it. No, but in the end, God brought it to it that the Romans actually tortured him to death. And he died al Kiddush Hashem. What's the benefit of that? The benefit of it is when it's actually done, it's like you dig deeper into your Messiris Nefesh. And you give your, yourself completely up 100%. So if there was anything that might have been missing to, to, to a second before the Akedah, we understand that Avram has to conquer his compassion. As much as it was a second before, if Chas V'Shalem, he needed to do the actual Akedah, that would require even a deeper sacrifice to God. And Avram did that as well. Because when he did it to the Ayol, in, in his consciousness, in his experience, he was doing it for Yitzchak, to Yitzchak, as if it was happening to Yitzchak, so that... The truth of God permeates him so deeply beyond every other attachment possible. A father and child is the deepest attachment. His sacrifice to Hashem goes even deeper than that. So that's why, so we understand something. Akedas Yitzchak doesn't mean there was goodwill. There was an actual Akedas, which was the binding of Yitzchak. And that's why the sages always speak of the ash of Yitzchak being on the altar. It's, Yitzchak is a burnt offering. He is an oiler. That takes the question we began with this in, in today's class. We said, what's the problem with Yitzchak going out of the land of Israel? God tells him, stay in the land. Because you're a carbon, you can't go out. And we asked the question, a carbon is only, is only forbidden to be taken out of the boundaries of the Yazara only after it was shechted. But before it was shechted, before it was, when it was just designated, you're allowed to take it anywhere. And the answer is Yitzchak's body is so holy 
Yitzchak's body is a burnt offering after it was burnt. So Yitzchak is even though he's alive. He's a walking burnt offering. Not a someone who is intended to be burnt. He is a burnt offering after. His holiness, Yitzchak's holiness, is the holiness of a carbon after it was consumed. It's in the highest level of holiness. And that's why Yitzchak can't go out of Eretz Yisrael. He belongs in the Beis HaMingosh. And that's where the sages are always talking about, that the merit of the Akedah is that God always sees the afer, the ashes. It, it says even more, Masech Tzvachim, in, in Tractate Masech Tzvachim, Daf Samach Beis, the Gemara says, when, this, when the people came up to build the second Beis HaMingosh, the Anshe Knesset Sagdola, and we know that the Romans, not the Romans, the Babylonians, they destroyed the first temple completely. How did they know? Where to build it, exactly where it was. So the Gemara says, okay, the building, the structure itself, we can see because there were still, there were still um, marks, or at least there were still some foundations from the first base of English. So they knew where to put the second temple because the foundations of the first base of English were still there. But where do they know? How do they know where to put the mizbeach? Exactly, because we know that the Rambam says an interesting thing. Maimonides says that the place of the altar is a very, very accurate. A place, mechuvan ma'od, it's exactly at a certain point. The mizbeach can't be off a tiny bit. Why? Because that's the place actually where God made Adam. He took mud from the, over there and he, and he made the first human being. That's the place where Adam offered a karban, a sacrifice for God. That was the exact same place that Cain and Hevel offered their sacrifice to Hashem. That's the same exact place that Noah offered his Karbanes Tashem after the flood. And the greatest thing was that exactly on that same place was where Avram did the binding of Yitzchak. Hashem showed him exactly. And our Mizbeach, when we offer the sacrifices, has to be exactly on that spot. So they say, the sages asked them, how do they know where that spot is? So it says they came, the Gemara gives a few interpretations. One of them is they saw an image of Malach Michoel standing over there and offering up Karbanes. And that's how they knew where it was. They saw an angel. Another interpretation is they saw the ashes of Yitzchak. That means that the ashes of Yitzchak was there hundreds of years later, even after the destruction of the first temple. Now, not Yitzchak's ashes, the ashes of the ram. But the ashes of the ram were the ashes of Yitzchak, which tell us, because as we said earlier, the, the ram is Yitzchak. So Yitzchak's body is burnt in those, in, those, in those ashes. And it looks like that those ashes are are here today as well. It's those ashes of Yitzchak. Yitzchak so that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's, that's what we mean that Yitzchak can go out of, out of Eretz Yisrael. But here's a question. The rule is in the Mizbeach that after you offer a karban, the ashes are removed from the Mizbeach, on the altar. You don't leave ashes on the altar. We have the concept called Trumas Hadesh. And some people say it as part of their davening Every morning, there is a parsha of Trumas Adeshen. What's Trumas Adeshen? Is that every in the Beis Hamikdash in the Temple, every morning, early morning, the the Mishnah speaks about three times in the night that they can possibly do it. It's and during the three pilgrimage holidays, they would do it in the third part of the night. On Yom Kippur, they would do it at midnight. But on a regular day, they would do it towards morning. By uh, when the when the when the when the um, oh, by the by the um, when the rooster uh, crow, uh, cries. So that's the time they would do the cleaning of the... What, what, what does it mean? They would go up on the altar, and there used to be a pile of ashes from yesterday's sacrifices. 
So the Kohen would take a shovel full of ashes and he would remove it from the Mizbeach and he would put it on the side of the altar on the floor. Then, that they did every day. And then some days, when it was getting kind of, the pile was getting bigger and bigger, they would, they would eliminate, take off all the ashes from the pile and they would take it out to a special area outside the city of Yerushalayim. It was called a Makam Tohor, a pure place. You had to make sure that there was no defilement, there was no, no one buried in that vicinity. It had to be a very clean place. And that's where they stored all the ashes from Karbanis. That means that the ashes of a Karban does not belong on the Mizbeach. It was removed from the altar. Yet when it comes to Yitzchak, the expression that we have in Medrash, in the Sages, in many places, is Afroi Shal Yitzchak, the ashes of Yitzchak, Tzavur al-Gabayah is piled on the Mizbeach. Ashes are not, of a carbon are not supposed to be piled halachically. That's the part you remove from the Mizbeach. Either you put it on the side of the altar, or you put it outside of the city of Yerushalayim. Why Yitzchak's ashes are on the Mizbeach? So halachically, it's always in, in, in terms of halacha, we can kind of explain it like this. Number one, the rule of taking the ashes and putting it on the side of the Mizbeach, you have to have an area that's called Eitzel HaMizbeach. The Pasuk says, V'samoy Eitzel HaMizbeach. Now, when the time... But, and, but the area of the, of the altar and the area next to the altar, for it to be called next to the Mizbeach, you can only have that once you have a Beis HaMikdash and you have a courtyard. Then the courtyard creates that holiness... So then the area next to the altar is called next to the Mizbeach. But when Avram Avinu did it, there was no Beis Amigdash yet. It was just a mountaintop. So the Mizbeach, okay, he made the Mizbeach, so that's why it was holy. But his Mizbeach is called what we call Bama Katana. Bama Katana means that before the Jewish people built the Mizbeach in the Beis Amigdash, you can technically make a, a little mini altar in your backyard. Anybody was allowed to do so. Today it's forbidden. Once... Yerushalayim was chosen, and once we have the big Mizbeach, you're not allowed to offer, actually before that, before Jerusalem, when once God chose a certain place, you're not allowed to offer sacrifices anymore on private altars. But when Avram Avinu made the Mizbeach, it was still considered a private altar. Right? So if it's a private altar, the place next to it is not considered next to the Mizbeach, because it has no Kedusha. So there was no, there was no meaning of taking the ashes and putting it on the side. So that's why Avram didn't put it next to the Mizbeach because it would have no significance. Number one. Number two, Rashi says the reason why they would remove the ashes is because you want to leave room, you want to make room for, to, for the next day. If you're going to leave the ashes on the Mizbeach, it's going to pile and pile and pile and pile and pile. I mean, obviously you're not going to have place to make the fire and to burn the new sacrifices. So you have to remove it so you can put the new sacrifices. And we understand that that is not applicable by Avram because he wasn't going to offer karbanis there daily. It was a one-time event where he offered the, uh, um, um, the ayel instead of Yitzchak. So there's no point. Once there's no point to removing it, there is a question if you're allowed to take it off. Because the rule is that anything that goes on the Mizbeach, you're not supposed to take off. Once something is put on the Mizbeach, even if they found out that a karban is puzzle, is, is for whatever reason invalid, once you put it on the Mizbeach, you have to leave it there. So the ashes, there's no reason... So if you have a mitzvah to take it off, or a reason to take it off, because you need it for today's space, no, we can understand. But if there's no reason, then quite on the contrary, you have to leave it there. So that's why it could be halachically, just halachically, Yitzchak's ashes, or the ram's ashes, 
But it seems like there's something more. That he, I mean, at least according to Hasidus, a little bit deeper. Why is, if, if we say that halachically ashes do not belong on the Mizbeach, how come by Yitzchak his ashes are on the Mizbeach constantly? Not only that, that when we want to talk about the merit, that what, what does God see for the Jewish people? What's the ultimate merit for Israel? Is that Yitzchak's ashes are on the Mizbeach. We don't talk about Akedas Yitzchak that much. It says that what, God, what is constantly bringing blessings for the Jewish people, it's the ashes of Yitzhak on the Mizbeach. Which means that we have to say that the whole, that the ashes of Yitzhak being on the Mizbeach, that expresses, that, that, that says something about the arcade. That's the ultimate merit. Why is that the ultimate merit? So the idea is as follows. See, ashes on the Mizbeach of Yitzhak really, in truth, not only shouldn't it be, to, make the, I mean, to make, the, make the question even bigger, see, not only shouldn't it be a merit, shouldn't it be, in a sense, it's, 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 halachically, when something turns to ash, it's no more the same thing like it was before. It's considered a new entity. It's metamorphosized. It's like a total new thing. It's not a continuation of its previous existence. That's why there is one opinion that when it comes to chametz, Pesach, you have to get rid of chametz. So there's one opinion that holds that when you get rid of chametz, the only way that is kosher to get rid of it is through burning it. Because when you burn it, then you destroy something completely. It's not considered as if whatever was before is continuing. It's a completely eliminated. If you're going to turn, take the chametz and put it into a million crumbs and spread it and throw it to the wind and the birds will eat it up, no, 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 that's not called getting rid of it. You have to burn it. And when you burn it, it's not there anymore. So think about it that way. If we want Yitzchak to be remembered before God, so the burnt ashes of Yitzchak is the opposite. Yitzchak isn't here anymore. Number one. Number two. We said earlier, what's the whole power of a carbon? The power of the carbon is, it says, Vayarach Hashem es reach anichach. Hashem smells the pleasant aroma. Reach. Now the aroma is only during the time of the burning. You go away from, a, from something that was burnt and you come back six weeks later and it's just a bunch of dry ashes. There's no aroma. If the whole Indian of Akedas Yitzchak is the aroma, the korban, that Yitzchak is a sacrifice to God, why again emphasize ashes? Two problems with ashes. Ashes no more is no more the original. Number two, the ashes say that the, burnt, the burning happened a long time ago. In our case, three and a half thousand years ago. And all you have is ashes. You have ashes. So what's the ashes? But here there is something very, very, very powerful. In addition to what we said before, that Yitzchak wasn't just intended to be burnt, but he actually was burnt. And his body is as holy as, as a burnt offering. That's why he's not allowed to go out of Eretz Yisrael. But there is something so much greater. And that is that that's not an old story. But that's actually a perpetual thing. The burn, when it says the ashes of Yitzchak are on the Mizbeach, it means the burning of Yitzchak to ashes is happening every second. Yitzchak's sacrifice, physical sacrifice for God, is a perpetual, continuous thing that is happening throughout history, every moment, at the core of the Jewish people. There is a mountain, there is a fire burning on Hara Maria, and there is a human being of Yitzchak who is being burnt for Hashem every second. His, why? 
Because when we look about a mitzvah, every mitzvah, we know a mitzvah is big merit. But there's levels in a merit of a mitzvah, and the merit of a mitzvah extends beyond the time that a mitzvah is done. We know in general, we know for instance, that when we do good deeds, it's not only a merit for us, it's a merit for our children, and our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. We, most of our merit that we have, our survival, is not because of our mitzvahs, it's because of our grandmothers, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, all the merits that they have. God remembers the kindness of the fathers. That's, it's chusavis, the merit of the parents. Especially Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, God doesn't forget them. Their merit stands for the Jewish people forever. But there's different levels of understanding of how that merit stands for Israel. One level of understanding is, they did good deeds, and because it's so powerful, God counts their mitzvahs and blesses us, the grandchildren, because of the merits that the grandparents did. That means the act was done 500 years ago. The act was done 1,000 years ago. The merit that it brings will last for 1,000 years, for 2,000 years, for 3,000 years, whatever the duration is. That's one level of where the, where the, where the action was a long time ago, but we're, 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 reaping, we're reaping the rewards um, the benefits from that thing. But then there's another level of merit. And that is when someone does something, and as a consequence of the actions that they do, to, did, th- that action bears fruit. And that's why there's a merit. There's an ongoing merit, not because the action was so great, and therefore God considers, he's, he's, He makes a promise that you're, you did something so wonderful, I'm going to help your great-great-grandchild because of something you did. That's nice, but there's something else. Sometimes someone does something good, and the, even though the act, the activity, the mitzvah that was done, was done at a certain time, but the repercussions of the mitzvah continue, the effects, the consequences of the mitzvah continue. For example, let's say a simple thing. When a parent teaches their child Torah, or educates their children, makes, brings out and, and refines their child, educates a child with fine character traits and the like, and based on that education, the child does, lives a very meritous life, a life full of good deeds. So then it's not just the merit of the father. The father is actually, the, is because of what they've done, this is having an influence on their children, and their children, and the grandchildren. So that's why it's not just the mitzvah is being, the merit of the mitzvah. The mitzvah itself is influencing a week later, a month later, a year later, 10 years later, 100 years later. Someone does a good deed, educates children, and those children go and become educators for others, and others, and others, and others, and others. And then you have endless merit. And it's a direct, it's a direct from the seeds you planted, this has grown. So of course there's merit. That's number two, second level. Over here, what do we have? Over here we have a mitzvah. And even though the mitzvah was done once, the consequence of the mitzvah is far-reaching. Okay? But here's a third level. A third level is that a mitzvah is done, and, in, and for whatever reason, this mitzvah, the actual act of the mitzvah, continues to repeat itself. It becomes a perpetual, ongoing, continuing mitzvah that not only the consequence of the mitzvah is happening, but the mitzvah itself 
continues to happen and happen and happen. Where do we have something like that? The sages say that when King David, David HaMelech, went, went to shower, went to bathe, he suddenly, the tzaddik David HaMelech, he's always thinking about God, and he's always surrounded with mitzvahs, and he realizes that, you know, as a Jew, he dresses, he has mitzvah, he has tzitzis. David HaMelech would always wear tefillin, in the ancient days, people wore tefillin all day. So always he's in his tefillin, he's in his tzitzis. Now he's naked, and he doesn't have any, any mitzvah. And he's suddenly horrified. How can I be mitzvahless even for a moment? And it bothered him very much. And suddenly he remembered that he's circumcised. And he has a mitzvah on his body. And over here there's a simple question. David HaMelech put on tefillin that day. And we know that when you wear tefillin, Tefillin is supposed to influence your consciousness, your awareness. When you put on tefillin, you're submitting yourself to God. So we can understand that when David put on tefillin, the repercussions of the tefillin was felt all day long. He all, so even when he's showering, he still remembers the tefillin and the submission that he, that he had to God in tefillin. What was the novelty of his circumcision? That he wasn't happy with that. The midst of the circumcision. The answer is... Even though the effect of the tzitzis and the tefillin and everything that he wore is influencing the rest of the day, the actual deed of the mitzvah was only done in the morning. When he wore the tefillin, or whatever, whenever, or we, and Avram wore tefillin, he wore tefillin all day. But only the time that he's wearing it, later it exerts its influence. It's like a mezuzah, and when you see the mezuzah, you have it on the door, it exerts its influence when you leave the house, you still remember, you're conscious that you live in a house that has a mezuzah. It reminds you, it projects. But not the act, the act of the mitzvah is when you're putting on the mezuzah. So, tefillin is the same thing. Uh, but David HaMelech was looking for an actual mitzvah that he's doing now. Then he remembered his, his bris. Because bris has two, two parts to the mitzvah of circumcision. One of them is to do the circumcision. And another part of, 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 of the mitzvah of circumcision is to be circumcised. There's two mitzvahs in the bris. One is the act of the bris. There is a mitzvah in being circumcised. Because that mitzvah of being circumcised is all the time, that makes that the act of circumcision is also considered as if it's happening every moment. Because you can't be circumcised unless you did the act. So the act of circumcision is considered a continuous act. Now let's go back to Akedas Yitzchak. Akedas Yitzchak, when we say that the ashes of Yitzchak are tzavar al gabay means that the act of Avram Avinu to the ram, which as we said before, when Avram was shechting the ram, he was actually doing Akedas Yitzchak, that act is a perpetual, continuous act that is happening 24-7, 365 days in the year, for all of time. Yitzchak is continuously being shechted in front of Hashem. Every moment. And that's what we mean is ashes. It means, doesn't mean ashes. It means the burning of Yitzchak to ashes is a continuous merit for the Jewish people because it's a mitzvah that's happening all the time. Wow. So suddenly, okay, this Yitzchak is so much bigger than we think. It's not a good intention. First of all, it literally happened. Secondly, it didn't happen a long time ago. It's happening every moment for the Jewish people. Now we'll understand why Yitzchak's ashes have to be on the Mizbeach. 
Because first of all, we're not talking about ashes that are hanging around afterwards. When we say ashes, we mean the act of, of making it to ash. Well, that was done on the Mizbeach, by every sacrifice. When you put a carbon on the Mizbeach, the act of the conversion from animal to ashes, where is that done? That's not off the Mizbeach. So ashes on the Mizbeach means the act of the, of the, of, 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 of Akedah. Well, that has to be on the Mizbeach. On the altar itself, not off the altar. But let's take this just really reveal the depth of this. So what's really happening over here? Why do the ashes of a carbon, of a regular carbon, go off the Mizbeach and not on the altar? You see, when you're taking a sacrifice, we're taking an animal, you're putting it on the altar and you're burning it, it's getting burnt up. The ashes don't get burnt up. After the fire goes out, what are you left with? Ashes. Why are, but what happened with the rest of the animal? The full, it got consumed in the fire. But ashes did not get consumed. Why didn't the ashes get consumed? And the answer is, ashes represent, or the ashes are the most physical, physical element of the animal. And the most physical, physical element cannot be consumed. You know, the Alter Rebbe, the, 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 the Balatanya in his, in Tanya explains an amazing thing. He says the reason why ashes, what are ashes? He says everything, I mentioned it a few times in a class. When something, everything in the world is made up of fire, wind, water, and earth. When you put something into a fire, the fire what happens to the elements? So it causes everything to, be, to come apart. The fire that, let's say take a log, put it on the fire. Inside the log has some element of fire in it. It has some moisture, water in it. It has some wind in it. It also has earth. Now what happens is like this. The fire that's in the, that's in the wood joins the fire. The water and the air that's in it goes up in the smoke. Smoke is a mixture of water and air. What remains, what remains is the earth. So the ashes are the earth. What does that mean? It means the most physical of physicality. The reason why fire, wind, and water goes up in the fire is because they're a little more spiritual. So they join, they're able to be consumed, they're able to be included in the fire. The more dense something is, earth, earth is extremely dense. Because of the density of the earth, the earth cannot give itself up. So the fire burns, the fire ends, and the earth is still here. Because of its density. So now let's apply that to the concept of a sacrifice. We know that a sacrifice, let's try, we know that when we're praying, we're also offering a sacrifice. What's the sacrifice we're offering? We're offering ourselves as a sacrifice. Prayer is a form of sacrifice. When we daven, what are we supposed to bring ourselves to? What kind of state? We're supposed to bring ourselves to a state where we recognize that we're, God, you're so real, you're so, you're everything. I'm willing to dedicate, devote my every ounce of my being for you. I'm giving you my everything. I'm being like a burning, I'm being consumed like a carbon. Okay? Let's say someone prays with extreme devotion. 
and really reaches a point of real Mesiris Nefesh. Shema Yisrael Hashem Lokeinu Hashem Achad, it's supposed to be a moment of Mesiris Nefesh. When you daven Shmona Esrei, it's supposed to be as if you were standing in front of the king, like a servant in front of the master. You become totally identityless. God, I belong to you. And I belong to you 100%. Problem is, you step out Shmona Esrei, you take three steps backwards. Even if you really, really reached a very, very, very strong and, and heightened awareness when you pray. You know, God should only give us the, the ability to real to reach these moments in prayer. But sometimes we have a really good davening and we feel that we really connected and we really, we really gave ourselves over to Hashem. The problem is, you still have a body. And even as much as you want to give yourself over and dedicate yourself to complete service of God, there is ashes. You finished, you burnt yourself completely up to God. There is ashes. What's the ashes? The ashes is you have a body that still needs to eat. You have a body that still needs to sleep. You have a body that still needs to do exercise. You have a body that still needs to brush its teeth. The body that still needs to, I don't know, take care of itself, whichever way it takes care of itself. So now, that's your ashes. So what do you do? I mean, as holy and as devoted and as dedicated someone might be to God, you can't ignore, you can't devote yourself 100% just to spirituality, learning Torah, doing mitzvahs every second, because you still have a physical body that... So that's the ashes. That's ashes. It's the parts that are just too coarse. The body is coarse. It cannot be consumed in God. When you're doing a mitzvah, when you're doing a mitzvah, when you're doing a mitzvah, there's a part of you that becomes consumed in God. The brain cells... That are, that are burning, I don't know exactly, the, 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 the brain activity and, I, and the molecule, molecular, whatever is happening in your brain, while you're learning and you're studying Torah, those, whatever that is, is becoming literally physicality, is unifying with God. The, the, the calories you're burning when you're, when you're doing a mitzvah, when you're literally physically exerting yourself to do a mitzvah, you're walking to help someone, you're carrying stuff to help a person, whatever it is, those calories are being absorbed in God. The physical body, so the physical, um, um, the wool that you make tzitzis with becomes an entity of holiness. The leather you make tefillin with becomes an entity of holiness. All of this is considered a carbon. It ceases to be physical. It becomes divine. It becomes godly. But then there is lunch. There is breakfast. There is sleep. There is other activities. You have to shower. You have to, you have to, you have to take. You have to do the laundry. These are activities you're doing and they're just mundane activities. They're ash. They can't be burnt in your, fodly, in your godly fire. What happens to them? You can't say, you can't, they can't be on the altar. It's not the same level as the altar. So what do you do with them? That's called rishus, that which is not kodesh, that which is not holy. It's mundane. So what do you do with rishus? Somebody might just be comfortable, say there's a piece of me that's one with God, and there's a piece of me that's denying God. God forbid, what's that? That's idolatry. That's having two realities. You have God and you have, you have, you have, a, you have, a, you have a space that's not holy, that's not Hashem, that's no good. So what do you do with that space? What do you do with that, with that, with that, with that, with that part of the person that's just, that's just physical and earthy? 
And the answer is, you have two options. The sages say, Kol Masecha L'Shem Shomayim is one option. Option number two, Bechol Derochecha De'ehu. Kol Masecha L'Shem Shomayim means all your activities should be for the sake of God. So if you're doing exercise, you can do your exercise just because you want to look good. You can do exercise because you want to feel good. And why do you want to look good or feel good? Because you like feeling good. You like looking good. And that's why you're doing it. Or you can do exercise because you want your body to be healthy so that you can live another day to do a mitzvah. So you want your body to be healthy so that it can do when the body is healthy and you don't have aches or pains. It's easier to pray. It's easier to study Torah. You have more energy to do a mitzvah. God forbid the body is weak and you're ache and you're sick. Chas v'shalem. Can't do mitzvahs. So you need to take care of the body. That's called kol masa. Same as with eating or everything else. All physical activities. Anything you're doing that is not... You can give them all godly content by having in mind that you're doing them for the sake of a mitzvah. That's one level. But here's level number two. You're not doing it for the sake of a mitzvah. You're actually, while you're doing them, you know God in that action. That's a higher level. That the physical activities that you're doing has not only supporting a mitzvah, like if I'm not going to be healthy, then I won't be able to do a mitzvah later. If I don't eat now, I won't have the strength to study. So then when I'm eating, I'm doing something mundane. I'm doing it with a proper purpose. But there's another thing. There are people that have trained themselves to become so godly aware that every single thing they're doing, they're finding godly content in that very action. In other words, when you're eating, you're suddenly aware, you're saying, wow, this is food, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the food, I'm eating it, and it's nourishing my body. And as you're feeling yourself, you feel yourself as a small little world, and you realize that God nurtures the entire world. And suddenly in the midst of the eating, you see God feeding the universe as He's feeding you. And you become suddenly so aware of Hashem as you're eating food and assimilating food, and you're feeling that God is a sustainer of all of life. In the food you're eating, you're sensing the divine. And there are people that have sublimated their bodies to a state that every physical activity, there's no shallowness, there's no shallowness. Everything is deep. Everything is profound. Everything, every physical act is laden with meaning, with depth. And the act itself has, it's not that I'm going to later do a mitzvah. I can sense the divinity in the act that I'm doing. Everything is lessons. From every activity you learn lessons about, about, about life and about your relationship with God. That's very powerful. That's a much higher level. That's the two places with what you do with the ashes. Remember we said before what do you do with the ashes? Either you put it outside of the camp, outside of Jerusalem, in a pure place. That's the first level. It's not even in Yerushalayim. It's not even in the Beis Hamish. It's outside. But it's in a place of purity because you're doing it with pure motive. Or if you reach the higher level, then the physical activities that you're doing, you can put it next to the altar. What does that mean? It's not the same like when you're doing a mitzvah, but it's the second best. It's almost because when you're doing that activity, you're having godly consciousness and a godly awareness. It's a very high state. That's called the ashes. It depends where you put it. Two levels of how you deal with it. That is when... 
But one thing is for sure, you can't leave it on the altar. Because even when you're doing physical mundane activities with godly awareness and with godly consciousness and with godly content, it still cannot compare to the godliness of a mitzvah. So it's next to the Mizbeach. There's one exception. And that is Yitzchak. Yitzchak, and here this, this is great. Yitzchak, because he went al Kiddush Hashem. What did we say earlier? What's the Kiddush of Yitzchak? What's the novelty? You know, Avram also went in Kiddush Hashem. Avram was thrown into a fire. So what's so great about Yitzchak, Sakedas Yitzchak? The answer is one thing. Avram didn't get burnt. The fire did not burn him. When Yitzchak went on the altar, Yitzchak did get burnt. It wasn't readiness to have an Akedah. There was an actual Mesiras Nefesh. The body, Pirkei Rebeliezer says, hear this, that by the Akedah, Yitzchak is actually, Yitzchak was so ready to give his life up when Avram took the knife and he felt the blade, his soul left his body. Yitzchak actually died. He was resurrected. He died. That means he, his body, went al Kiddush Hashem. The Zohar says a fascinating thing. The Zohar says over here in Pashas Noach, the Zohar says, how come it says the names of tzaddikim two times? Noach, Noach, twice. It says, um, Avram, Avram, two times. Moshe, Moshe, two times. Yaakov, Yaakov, two times. So the Zohar says something fascinating. The Zohar says because every person has two lives. The soul that they have in this world and the soul they're going to have in Asad Lavei, after Mashiach comes. So that's why it mentions their names twice, because there's two Avrams, there's two Moshes, there's two Noachs, there's two Yaakovs, the soul now and the soul later. But he says, besides Yitzchak, but Yitzchak, it never repeats two times, Yitzchak, Yitzchak. Why? Because the Zohar says, because when Yitzchak had his Akedah, his Neshama left his body, and when his Neshama left his body, it only came back because Avram Davin that it should be Tchias HaMesim, and his Neshama came back, which Neshama did he get? Not the one of the future, I'm sorry, not the one from now. He got already his next soul. He's already, Yitzchak is living already with the soul of the future, no more the soul. That's why the Zohar says also, God never ever designates his name on a tzaddik, on anybody, while they're alive, because you don't know, besides Yitzchak. Because Yitzchak had already the soul of Mashiach, the soul of the future. He wasn't anymore the old Yitzchak, he's the new Yitzchak already. So Yitzchak actually died. So Yitzchak went on Kiddush Hashem. You see, when someone goes al Kiddush Hashem, when someone actually dies for the sanctification of God's name, just like his soul is attached to God, physical body becomes attached to God in the same level as the soul. The guf, the body, since, since he died al Kiddush Hashem, physically, his body is now becomes unified with God on the same level like his neshama. So guess what happens to Yitzchak's body? Yitzchak's body is now equal to his soul, completely subsumed. And we said earlier, the Akedah actually happened to him. So his body is now one with God. Yitzchak's body is holy of holies. Yitzchak has no physicality. But Yitzchak, there's no ash. A regular carbon has ash. When we try to do a mitzvah, try to, there's always a certain part of us that gets close, but still always remains outside, but not by Yitzchak. Because since once Yitzchak gave his life up, once Yitzchak declared that God is more precious to him than his body, completely, that means he melted his body into God, his body now became similar to the way our bodies are going to be after Tchiyas HaMesim. It's going to be a whole different kind of a body. The bodies are going to be totally transparent to God. They're going to have every moment its existence is not going to be mundane, it's going to be purely divine. Yitzchak's body was purely divine. 
That's why Yitzchak's ash, he has no ash. The ash doesn't go outside, even in a pure place. It doesn't even go next to the Mizbeach. Because in Yitzchak's life, there wasn't anything that wasn't pure mitzvah. That means every physical activity of Yitzchak. And Yitzchak went to sleep. It was a divine sleep. When Yitzchak ate, it was a divine eating. There was nothing physical to his actions. It had no content other than pure divinity. His entire being was, was unified with Hashem. There is no chutzlam, there's no dashen, there's no ash that belongs outside. Even the most external part, and that shows you where a person can reach with Mesiris Nefesh. Through Mesiris Nefesh we can reach such a level that our bodies cease to, be, cease to have any kind of material content. It becomes one entity. So when Yitzchak says to Esav, go make for me matamim, delicacies. I need, I want to bless you. And it says that Esav goes out and the Rivka goes and she makes matamim. So if you read the Torah from a coarse mind, you're thinking to yourself, Yitzchak wants shwarma. He's having lamb. And he says, give me some, lab, add, add me some nice hummus on the side. And we're looking at it, we're realizing, you're crazy? You know who Yitzchak is? There's no physicality to him. Nothing. His every physical activity of his was just as holy. Halavai. Let me put it this way. We, on our most transcendental moment when we're saying Ne'ilah and screaming Shema Yisrael and Yom Kippur, when we're in that most elevated state, should be anywhere close to Yitzchak's body, not his soul. His physical body at any given moment during his, all of his life. Because, because once he went on Mesiris Nefesh in the literal sense, see, everybody else, here's the only difference. No human being can accomplish this because this can only be accomplished not if you almost die, but only if you died already. Yitzchak went, Yitzchak crossed that line and survived. So he's the only being that we have, physical human being, who his body went al Kiddush Hashem, but yet he's still alive. So therefore his body is, has now attached itself to God as holy as his neshama, and therefore there is no deshen. There's no... Ash that goes chutzlam as beach. There's nothing sticking out in Yitzchak's life that's not perfectly harmonized with God. That's a merit for the Jewish people, particularly as we talk now about Harabayas. We know whose ash is on that mountaintop. Still there now, continuously happening. May God look down upon the Jewish people and see that the truth is that Yitzchak, whatever Yitzchak, whatever our forefathers have, they've given us. We potentially, and in essence, have that Mesiris Nefesh, not only in our soul, but even in our bodies. It's just that the darkness of the Gullus and the, the, the confusion doesn't allow us to necessarily feel the true nature of our bodies, which is to be totally attached to God, to be totally one with Hashem. May Hashem remove the exile, and we will suddenly realize not only how holy our Neshamans are, but how holy and godly our bodies are, and how unified they are with Hashem. May we merit to see the great uh, the coming of Mashiach, and uh, Yitzchak's ashes, as it will spring to life with Yitzchak Avinu, Avram Avinu, and Yaakov Avinu, and all the others, and everyone with eternal joy, um, and bringing back all those people who had Yitzchak's, if Yitzchak's ashes, and we said before, Yitzchak comes alive, he's living through his ashes, and thereby later continuing his life, what does that 
that's, that's the core also for Tchias HaMesim, where all those that had, had already passed, their bodies will come back alive to perceive ultimate unification with God, body and soul together. May we merit to see that now. Shame.